I mean, you only learn and you only innovate if you expose yourself to uncertainty, right? Otherwise, it's just routine and you do everything you've always done and you know. So that step really into the uncertain and, and we argue that that's actually a good step to take. And currently people look at us, are you crazy? I mean, we have plenty of uncertainty and leave us alone with that. This is the ETH Podcast. I'm Jennifer Kakshori, your host. This episode is part of the Uncertainty series. What is uncertainty and how vital is it to speak up when it comes to stressful, uncertain situations? You'll find out in this episode. I'm Nadine Bienefeld. I'm a team and human factors researcher, and I'm interested in what makes teamwork successful, especially in stressful, high-risk settings, such as in healthcare and in aviation. How do you define uncertainty regarding your field of research? Uncertainty is something that makes people uncomfortable. At the same time, it's the only chance for learning. Is uncertainty the only chance of learning? This question is something I want to keep in mind and get back to later. Nadine is the senior researcher and lecturer in the team of Gurila Grote. I'm a professor of work and organization psychology at the Department of Management, Technology and Economics at the ETH Zurich. How would you define uncertainty in a nutshell? I usually just say uncertainty is not knowing for sure. As a very basic definition, many people also describe uncertainty in terms of unpredictability. So I guess uncertainty often is just about the future also. You can be uncertain about the task that you do, which is mostly what we focus on. Well, we as work psychologists and organization psychologists, we, we look at those settings. But obviously you can also be uncertain about yourself. You can be uncertain about the state of the world, all sorts of things. But it's always really that... In a way, you don't have the knowledge that you feel you would want to have to be good at whatever you want to do. There are very many layers. How do you deal with blurriness, with the not very focused lines around the uncertainty? We're actually struggling with that because in the empirical research we do, I mean, obviously then we try to somehow measure uncertainty. And we've tried all sorts of different ways, but we don't have the one good way of, of measuring yet. I guess uncertainty is a fundamental human emotion, and yes, it sounds logical that feelings are hard to measure. Nadine is doing what she does for a reason. Well, this sounds obvious too, I guess everyone has reasons for things they do or don't do, but what I'm trying to point out is Nadine mentioned that her focus lies on stressful settings, such as medical environments, but also on aviation. Well, before my studies... I flew for Swiss Air and absolutely loved to travel and discover the world. And then on September 3rd, 1998, I was scheduled to fly from Geneva to New York, all packed and ready as I had made plans to celebrate my birthday in New York the following day. And then I was woken up that day by a phone call from crew control telling me that the plane I was scheduled to fly over had crashed in the night in the Atlantic Ocean, killing everyone on board. Time, uh, 0124. Roger. 11 heavy V starting dump. Now we have to land immediate. Swiss Air 111, just a couple of miles. I'll be right with you. Roger. And we are declaring emergency now. Swiss Air 111. Copy that. Swiss Air 111, check you're cleared to start the fuel dump. 
That really was a decisive moment in my life, the Swiss Air 111 Halifax accident. And it really motivated my interest to research teams, what makes them safe, how people speak up in moments of uncertainty and why they don't, which is more often the case. Halifax, the name has become synonymous with a painful period in Swiss history. I remember the crash, how my radio alarm clock woke me up and how I couldn't believe the bad news. It still moves me till today when I think of that plane crash and all the families who lost loved ones. This accident changed Nadine's life in terms of her career path. As she says, her focus lays on human factors and issues such as speaking up. The goal of speaking up, or as she calls it, clarifying voice in her latest paper together with Rebecca Meinhardt from Harvard Medical School, clarifying voice is to bring everyone on the same page in a team because critical information may be missing and because people in high hierarchical positions might be just as vulnerable to fall into the trap of cognitive biases. Speaking up should not be put in the same category as criticizing or providing unwanted feedback or even whistleblowing. These are completely different constructs. Speaking up in itself should just be wanting to bring in an idea, wanting to raise attention to something that somebody has observed that might be relevant or mission critical or pointing out errors that are about to have consequences that can be avoided. So I think it's very, very important. And lots of people, if not most, even those that have gone through decades of training on speaking up, still confuse it with these other constructs. And they also still think psychological safety is to do with being happy, clappy, touchy-feely, a harmonious team. It is really the opposite. It's you want to create friction, you want to have a candid discussion. From my experience working in a newsroom for quite some time, I know that sometimes speaking up in extremely stressful situations is not easy and often leads to crazy discussions. The absurdity is that it isn't about life and death in a newsroom. Of course, it's essential to get information out correctly, but the newsroom is not open heart surgery, or in the case of Gudela. We've done trainings here with anesthesia teams in, in the university hospital. And we've looked at anesthesia induction, I mean, where, where people then are ready to be ventilated, right? And one difficult bit there is to get the tubus into the lung, right? And it might end up in the stomach or it might end up nowhere. So this is kind of a tricky moment for people, even under normal circumstances. And then we had kind of simulated situations with a, with a mannequin, right? Not, not a real patient, where for some reason that person really could not be intubated in, in the regular way. And you have kind of an experienced anesthetist and he, they just keep trying, trying. And there have been real cases of that. I mean, people have died because of that, right? In that real example, actually, also, then the nurses immediately realized this is a particular situation where you just know you have to cut open to intubate the person, right? And, and that people don't want to do, right? But this is a trained scenario. And still, I mean, you would find people that for 30 minutes try to intubate a patient in a regular way. And in that real case there, the nurses just brought the surgery set to do that cut, Right. But they won't speak up to say, do no. the cut. Right. They just kind of put it there. And then the, in that case, I guess as much as they could reconstruct what happened, 
the anesthetist just kind of look at why would I need that, right? And then they kept trying, kept trying. And they'd lose a person. Yeah, yeah. And in that case, really, that person died, right? And and her husband is a pilot, so he used that to say we need more human factors training as we have in in cockpit crews. This pilot Gudela is talking about is in a short documentary film called Just a Routine Operation. My name is Martin Bromley. I'm dad to two young children, Victoria and Adam. And this is the story of the death of my wife, Elaine, who died in March 2005 as a result of an attempted routine operation that went wrong. I'm an airline pilot with a background in human factors. I want to make a difference. I want to be able to say to Victoria and Adam in a few years' time that although their mum died, the lessons from that have been learned and that there is a change in practice in healthcare in the UK. The film is more than heartbreaking and it's a wake-up call if anyone is hesitating ever to speak up. In this documentary, Martin talks about losing his wife during a routine procedure. With this documentary, he is hoping to make a change to practice in healthcare. It's often about hierarchy, right? And that obviously then increases uncertainty even more. And we've done um, surveys also, why would people not speak up? And then obviously hierarchy is a thing and you feel like they won't listen to me anyway. Or I might even be punished if, if I speak up. So there's various reasons why you don't do it. And it's all, we would argue, it's actually around uncertainty. So you have to overcome in a way that uncertainty for yourself to be ready in some situation than to increase the uncertainty for others. At the beginning of this episode, Nadine said, Uncertainty is something that makes people uncomfortable. At the same time, it's the only chance for learning. Remember, it's almost a year ago now since the first wave lockdown happened. And I remember how uncomfortable I felt not knowing anything. I think we've come a long way. But that also shows that within less than a year, you know, who would have thought that these researchers can develop, you know, working vaccinations in, in less than a year? That's, that's one thing that could only be in, achieved by this uncertainty. We did not know whether it would be effective, it does work now. And it's the same with, with most of mankind's achievements. Going to the moon, you know, Christopher Columbus sailing across the ocean, discovering the new world. I mean, he didn't know what he would face. And our future endeavors will be the same. What do we know what we would find on Mars or whatever? So th these kind of challenges and these true innovations are always based on not knowing what there is, wanting to explore, being curious, being open to learning, wanting, wanting to learn to move forward. Gudela also makes the point of opposing the bland talk about how the crisis due to the pandemic is a chance to improve life and work. Overall, clearly, I mean, uncertainty is, is hard for people right now and it's Then also a question of what's the resources you have to deal with the uncertainty. And I mean, sitting here in Zurich with a job, a well-paid job even, I mean, with everything kind of working, I mean, that's a completely different situation where I can nicely say, oh yeah, sure, new uncertainty, I can try out new gadgets. 
compared to somebody who doesn't have a job anymore and three kids at home and just everything is kind of falling to pieces. I mean, you don't talk about problems anymore. You talk about challenges, right? And then try to give it this positive connotation. And and I, in certain situations, that might be good. I mean, to, to get people really to change their mindset a little bit and that might actually get them to do things they never thought they could do, which is which is good. But at the same time, if you just kind of cover up inequalities and obviously, I mean, large differences in resources that people have by by just making it sound positive, I think this is, yes, I'm quite, quite opposed to that. I mean, this is just not taking people seriously. In a recent publication, Gudela talks about one group which has been exposed to a lot of uncertainty. The title of the publication is Uncertainty in Aging and Lifespan Research, COVID-19 as Catalyst for Addressing the Elephant in the Room. Part of our research is also to look into older employees, right? Obviously, they all or many have a hard time right now because they're considered kind of leftovers and find it hard to find jobs again. They might consider themselves leftovers. I mean, when we asked people about their employability, then it's always a strong correlation with age that the older you get, you feel less employable. So we've looked into that. Um, uncertainty is this kind of, yeah, funny animal in a way, because... What you find with older people and, and reduced kind of opportunities, everything becomes more certain in that sense, right? But often more certain than in a negative way. I know I won't have a job anymore. I will never find a job anymore. I have no blah, blah, and I'm going to die pretty soon anyway, right? And if you open up the future again, then obviously you open up to uncertainty also. In a positive sense, in a joint project with the Employment Service in Zurich, Gudela is developing interventions for older people in order to think about their future differently and also to dare take uncertain steps. Aside or much more in addition, Gudela and a colleague organized a conference in Ascona in 2018. The title was Creating Uncertainty, Benefits for Individuals, Teams and Organizations. Is the research statement following the 2018 conference still valid? Or does she need to rephrase it in the light of the corona pandemic? We would argue it's still valid because I guess our our main kind of push and argument is really that you just simply start to explicitly look at uncertainty. And often uncertainty is ubiquitous, right? It's everywhere, but it's not necessarily always explicitly addressed. So our first thing would be to explicitly address it. And then look at it, what does it do in certain situations? Can it be an opportunity? And sometimes it can. Is it more a threat and, and rightfully so in a way? And from that then develop different ways of acting. Based on the conference in Ascona, Gudela continued researching how to unlock people's potential regarding work, more complex work. And one characteristic of more complex jobs is actually more uncertainty, right? People will allow me to be freer in what I do when I have to deal with uncertainties, when they can't prescribe exactly what I need to do. So that was kind of my starting point where you could even say, can you even infuse uncertainty into jobs <laughs> so, to kind of push for, for better job design? I enjoy listening to Gude Lagrote and her inclusive, empathetic approach to all aspects of uncertainty. 
Also talking to Nadine is enriching. Has the crisis of the last year changed her research? Did the term of uncertainty even shift? It did, but in a way more methodologically, because as I've chosen to investigate my research in ICU teams, of course, they are the most heavily hit. And, and all the simulation trainings that we had scheduled for last year to tackle our research question had to be cancelled, which, which of course was a huge pity, but we will continue doing it. That's almost ironic. ICU teams, intensive care units, were crucial to handle the situation during the pandemic. Uncertainty is everywhere and all over. It's not easy to tackle and probably we grow uncertainties early on. That just brings another idea to mind, which I think is important to stress that fear of speaking up is something we create in our children, not least by the educational system. As soon as a child who is naturally inquisitive and curious and wants to ask questions and may also then bring in something that maybe doesn't make sense in, in a certain situation. If, if that person is then laughed at or criticized or shut down, then, you know, little by little, they will learn to remain silent. That's a kind of a societal or cultural upbringing that we expose our children to. So I make sure that with my own children, I kind of encourage them to, to really speak up and, and make also clear at the same time that they can't expect to always be listened to or that they can't get their own way. I think that's important. And that is not so easy to achieve. Nadine Bienefeld and Professor Gude Lagrote from the Department of Management, Technology and Economics at ETH Zurich were my guests in the fourth episode of our Uncertainty series. In the next and last episode of the Uncertainty series, We'll talk about the challenging uncertainties in the perspective of the career of researchers. Thies Wachter's Audio Story Lab, together with Luki Fretz, the sound designer, and I, Jennifer Kakshuri, put this episode together. Thank you for joining us.